call to worship comes from Psalm 119. With my whole heart I seek you. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I treasure your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the ordinances of your mouth. I delight in the way of your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Our opening hymn of worship this morning, Great Love, your lo- God even, your love has called us here. And if you're able and would like to, you're invited to join us in standing as we sing.
poet George Herbert wrote this poem. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be. I, the unkind, ungrateful? Oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I did. Sit and eat. Let us pray. Great God, your love has indeed called us and drawn us together in this place at this time. We are all too aware of our own faults and failings, all too conscious that our faith and our love are less than they might be. Yet you welcome us, accept us, forgive us and renew us. Gracious Christ, you have freed us and all creation from the tyranny of sin. And you call us to follow you in loving God, self and neighbour. Living out day by day the faith we profess in humble service. Welcoming, accepting and forgiving those who hurt or offend us. Gentle Spirit, Comforter and Advocate, you guide and inspire us as we try to follow Jesus in a confused and confusing world. Intercede for us now as we join our voices in the language of our hearts, sharing in the pattern for prayer Jesus gave his followers, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy names, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
have to be particularly eagle-eyed to spot that we have a selection of crosses on the table this morning and if you would like to you're invited to come and have a look at them now and see if there is one that you think is particularly beautiful or particularly interesting or particularly puzzling and it doesn't matter whether you're a child or an adult please feel free to come and have a look at these crosses. Sorry? It kind of feels like it's made of sap. Like sap, resin. Resin, yeah. I don't think it is, but... Maybe it has 
amber, I think. Amber. Yeah. Mm, that kind of decent, but yeah. That's what amber is. What do you like? Do you want to do you want to choose one you like and hold it, and then we can show them to the people who are being very sober and sitting still. Just choose one that you want to hold while we look at it. And then we can put them back afterwards. Okay, let's, let me get the microphone so we can hear. And we'll start at this end. Okay, Carl, do you want to show, well, you've got two there, that's an interesting count of one, but never mind. <laughs> do you want to tell people, hold them up so they can see them um, and tell people what you have got and why you like them. So let me hold that one for you. Uh, the reason I kind of like them is because it's almost made of glass and you can see through it. Okay. And they have a particularly nice kind of pattern. I like blue. I like, there's a bunch of colours in this red, kind of mixture of red and yep. orange and yellow. So the mixture of colours and the translucency. Yeah. That's a posh word for being able to see through it. That's great. Thank you very much, Carl. Should we pop those back down? And let's see, which one did you pick, Badia? Which one did you like? You like this one. Okay. Why did you like that one? Um, uh, I don't know. You just like it? No, it's okay. Can I hold it up to show everybody? It's got a very long chain. Yeah. It's in the shape of an anchor. That's right. So well picked. That's a lovely one to pick. That's quite unusual, that one. So I'll pop that one back down. Which one did you pick, Benjamin? This one. Why did you pick this one? I'm just going to show it to everybody. Do you want to tell everybody why you picked that one? Because uh, it has a hole on it. It has different colours on it. Yep. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's got different colours. It's got holes in it. It's got a big red cross in the middle. And the writing. And writing. Do you know what that writing says? Can you read that? It's a long word. Yeah, that is. It says Jerusalem. That's a cross that comes from Jerusalem. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? What did you pick, Bonnie? You didn't choose one? Okay. I chose one. A very colourful one. It has a bird and a sun, red sun, interestingly enough. A bit of a house, a bit of some hills and a person. Maybe a farmer, a chicken. Oh, that might be a chicken. That might be a chicken. Not just any bird. That's right. So it's very down to earth, but also very colourful. Yeah. I have a colleague who's been to a country from uh -huh. which it comes. It's from out from Salvador. El Salvador, yeah. An interesting place where many Christians have had to pay a very high price for right. yep. following Jesus. So these Salvadorian crosses actually often depict people in El Salvador, um, and this I think this is a Maria one. Um, Maria, who was one of the most famous people but they all have different pictures and as you say very down to earth real people in their crosses Anita did you pick one? I chose the one that's here every week I think uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I I particularly like it because it's the Celtic cross and yes. the, the knots and the sense of um, uh, ongoing everlasting love yep. connected in with it lovely thank you thank you everybody do you want to go and sit down now? You found one, have you, Bonnie? Which one was it? Can you remember? No? Oh, you'll have to tell me later. 
So all sorts and sizes of different shapes and crosses that we like for different reasons, and they come from Christians all around the world. When I was doing a bit of researching this week, I came across this. I'm not sure how well it shows. Um, I have played with the projector a bit, and I think with the air conditioning, we've got some whiffly effect from the, the air. But this is thought to be the oldest Christian cross in existence. It probably comes from Syria. Nobody's quite sure. And I think it's on something that's called bloodstone. I don't know what mineral that is. But it's actually engraved. Um, It's a man with a beard on a cross in a kind of strange position, it has to be said. And then there's some writing which talks about Father, Son and Holy Spirit, which is why it's understood to be Christian. And that comes from somewhere probably in Syria and dates back to around about 300 AD. Somewhere in that sort of Syria area. Um, it's actually kept in the British Museum now. I've never seen it, but I found it, a picture of it on the internet. But it was certainly found in that sort of eastern Mediterranean area, which is why they think it may have come from Syria. So for all those hundreds and hundreds of years, but not right at the start, Christians across the world have used crosses to help them to think about Jesus and to reflect on their faith. And as we've seen from this amazing collection, um, which is not a particularly big collection, it has to be said, they come in all shapes and sizes. They come in different um, amounts of colour. Some are very plain and simple. Some are very exciting and beautiful. But all of these remind us of the God who comes to us in Jesus. And we're going to sing a hymn now that speaks of something of that mystery of the God who comes to us in Jesus. Meekness and majesty, manhood and deity in perfect harmony, the man who is God.
first reading this morning is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. Second reading is from John chapter 12, verses 20 to 33. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honour. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Amen. This week, as I was preparing to create some reflections, 
I read a little devotional book or part of a little devotional book by Cardinal Basil Hume called The Mystery of the Cross. And at the beginning of that book, he writes this. In our day, we need to recover a sense of mystery. We must make the distinction between a mystery and a problem. And it's one that we've tended to forget. A problem is an obstacle, a conundrum, something that in principle can be formulated and solved. A mystery is utterly different. It lies beyond us. It is too rich for our understanding. It can be entered into, explored, even inhabited but it can never be exhausted or fathomed. The choice is between mystery and the absurd. To embrace the mystery is to discover the real. Over the last couple of weeks, and especially today, I've tried to embrace that choice of mystery, to enter into and explore aspects of what we call the cross event as we search for meaning and truth and ultimately what for us may be real. So you've got a couple of options this morning. There were going to be three, but I forgot to put one thing in my bag, so hey-ho. If you would like to take one of these crosses and just sit quietly and reflect on it for the next 15, 20 minutes, absolutely fine. All I ask is you give it me back at the end because they're not all mine and the ones that are mine are precious to me and the ones that belong to other people are precious to them. Or you can listen to me directly and there will be some images on the screen. And you can kind of do a bit of both if that's helpful for you. The short reading from Jeremiah speaks of a new covenant, a covenant unlike that made with Moses, which resulted in a written law, impossible to fully know, never mind understand or obey, but instead one that is written on the hearts of the people. And as I read that, and I don't know about you, but it reminded me of those words from the Song of Solomon. Set me as a seal upon your heart. A symbolic representation of the covenant that exists between the beloved and the lover. And perhaps we also recall how in the Gospels Jesus says, This is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. The echo of the words from Jeremiah, I think, is clear. The new covenant is made via the cross event. The spilling of Christ's blood and the sign or the seal is the cross itself. Even nowadays, some legal documents are sealed 
either with wax or with an embossing machine. Every now and again, we go and have a chat with our church lawyer at his office. And as you walk in, there are these huge metal seals all over the place. They're enormous. This mark is somehow more significant than a symbol, a signature, sorry, more than the mark of one individual. It's a kind of a corporate commitment. Our triune God chooses the cross as a symbol to seal the new covenant. And of course, in Christian traditions, the sign of the cross is used in all sorts of different ways at significant moments and in some traditions every week. If you are a Roman Catholic, I'm going to do it right-handed because it's probably not right if you do it left-handed, there is a tradition of signing yourself, crossing yourself. Um, There is a way to remember it, but it's probably not suitable to say in church. And those who know will be chuckling to themselves, but spectacles, watch wallet. Assumes you're a man and it rhymes. But also... Um, In some Catholic churches, when the gospel is read, people will sign themselves on the forehead, God be in my heart, on the mouth, God be in my speaking, and on the heart, God be in my heart. Sorry, my my mind, my mouth, my heart. Can't even do things this morning, but never mind. And then we have a couple of pictures here of other times that the symbol of the cross is used. In those traditions that keep Ash Wednesday, On that day at the beginning of Lent, the priest will take a mixture of ash and oil and mark the foreheads of people with the cross. A sign of penitence, the seal of the covenant. And then there is a very long tradition of anointing those who are sick with the sign of the cross. Um, In some traditions, priests, as they are ordained, are signed on the palms of their hands with the cross and certainly as we did last week it can be used as a sign of healing so the cross as a symbol of covenant a promise a relationship with God John's gospel is very unique in many ways And one of the unique things about it is this reading that we've just heard where Jesus compares himself and perhaps his work as a grain of wheat, a single seed, small, insignificant, easily lost or forgotten about. But if it's buried in the ground and if the conditions are right... It will germinate and grow and in time produce many, many more seeds. The seed has to die, otherwise its potential cannot be achieved. Dying in order to generate new life is the job of that seed. And I think it's a beautiful image that works well in our northern hemisphere where Easter coincides with the green shoots of springtime. Oops, not quite sure what's happened there. I've obviously hit too many buttons, sorry about that. 
It's not the day for technology today, is it? So usually at this time of, of year, everything is green and there are flowers everywhere. We have some beautiful tulips this morning to remind us defiantly that it is spring. That which has been hidden under the ground in the winter comes forth and brings new life. And I think this is a really interesting mystery about the cross, about sacrifice, <clears throat> I don't know what's going on here. I shall just um, stay here for a minute and not... Right. Okay, this is one of the crosses that's on the table and it normally hands, hangs on the wall in my hallway at home. It's one, of the one, it's one of the ones that Carl particularly liked. It's a crucifix and it's blue glass and has a figure on it which I believe is made from soldering wire. I think most of our people who do soldering are probably not here today. Uh, Paul's probably done some. But one of the things about solder or welding flux is that when you use it, it's sacrificed. It is no more in its form. So its identity is gone as it joins together the components that it's meant to join in other words, in order for those things to be born, in order for you to get your bits and pieces connected together on your circuit board and your computer to work or whatever it is, the solder has to sacrifice itself or be sacrificed. So for me, this crucifix with a solder wire Christ expresses something of that mystery. And here is a second image it used to be on the, um, I used to keep it on the mantelpiece in the vestry when we were in the church. It now sits in my office at home. It's a picture of a wall. So you can see the stones and you can see the mortar. But if you look closely, and I don't press the wrong buttons, here, is a Christ figure, crucified. The mortar holds together the wall, but in order to do so, it gives up its own identity. It dries out and clings to the stones surrounding it. The wall is made whole through the sacrifice of the mortar. And again, for me, that's a powerful image to sit with as I think about the cross. Whatever image works best for us, and it may be the seed, it may be the solder, it may be the mortar, it doesn't matter, it may be another one. This idea of the cross as a symbol of sacrifice for others which brings new life and creates something beautiful that's part of the mystery. If you listen very carefully to the passage from John, Jesus says, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. 
Now that probably seems quite straightforward to start off with. But if we sit with it and if we ponder it, it can become quite mind-blowing. A literal, if a bit crude, translation from the Greek would have Jesus saying, I, when I am lifted out of the earth, will draw everything to myself. It's a subtle difference, and it's not one that any Bible translator I've found has made, and they've got far better Greek than mine. I just go, well, that word can mean that, and that word can be that. So Jesus lifting, being lifted up from the earth could mean crucifixion, and it could mean ascension. Jesus being lifted out of the earth, to me, has more of a sense of resurrection, though again, could point to ascension. And you know me, I like playing with words and their meanings. So we have a kind of a continuum through the cross of death, resurrection and ascension. It's all part of the same thing. And as a result of that, everything is drawn to Jesus. And that's really significant because it transcends time, it transcends place, and actually, if it means all or everything, it's not just about people. And whilst we may choose to read it as all people, I would like to suggest it's greater. That seems to me to fit with the sweep of scripture. We've already reminded ourselves over the last couple of weeks that the Bible tells us that that Christ didn't come just for humans, but came for the whole of creation. But let's just sit with the idea of all people for a minute, which is why I've put up a picture of crosses from around the world. Because what it says is the cross event goes beyond nationality. These are crosses from different countries. It's beyond race or language. It's beyond gender or sexuality. It transcends whether you are good or bad, whether you are righteous or sinful. In fact, it transcends everything. Every category that we can think of is transcended by the cross. There cannot be an us and them. Ultimately, there cannot be an other because the mystery is that all people will be or have been or are being drawn to Christ. That past, present, future continuum, death, resurrection, ascension. And so around the world, we may understand Christianity a bit differently from each other. And we may put in different emphases that seem for us important. And we may worship in different styles that reflect our personalities. But what unites us is the mystery that is the cross. Now, one of the words I use that Wendy likes quite a lot, because she tells me so, is eschatological. You like that one, don't you, Wendy? Eschatology. 
the study of the end times is something that Christians of tradition, all traditions get excited about. And they sometimes get into very meaningless arguments about, well, what does this verse mean? Or what does that verse mean? And will this happen before that? Or will blah, blah, blah. And actually, what we miss out on is getting on with doing what Jesus called us to do. John's gospel is sometimes referred to as having what's called a realised eschatology, which in ordinary language sees the cross event as the point in time at which Jesus Christ's eternal sovereignty begins. In John, he says this, now is the judgment of the world. Now is the ruler of this world driven out. In other words, the cross is the beginning of the end, the last chapter of history in which the gulf between God and creation is permanently bridged and in which God's reign of shalom is experienced. Just as Jesus draws his last breath and says, it is finished, it is accomplished, which is recorded by John, so the end begins, the new kingdom begins. Well, you might say, and I would agree with you, well, let's look around us and there's not much evidence of it, is there? I mean, you know, people getting poisoned, people accusing people, people being forced to flee their home countries, people being attacked for who they are or who people think they are. How can it be that this kingdom is already here? One of the phrases that is used a lot by Christians is the now and not yet of God's promise. We're back to this one through time thing. God's kingdom has come. God's kingdom is coming. And God's kingdom is yet to come. Because we're human and because God gives us freedom we make choices individually, collectively, and as nations and groups of nations that get in the way of God's will, God's desire. But God's perspective is bigger than any of that. I've chosen as my last image a crucifix that is at Mount St Bernard's Abbey in Leicestershire. And it's a place I went a few times when I lived there um, for deacon's quiet days. And you can go for a walk up this little craggy rock. And at the top of it, like at many monsters, is a Calvary scene. A cross against the sky on which a man reaches out. I think this image, which Protestant Christians have not had a good relationship with, actually expresses some of the mystery of how the cross links heaven, traditionally seen as up, and earth, traditionally seen as down, and of a God whose love is so expansive, reaching right out from one side to the other, that it embraces all. In this image of Jesus 
on a cross. We're reminded again of that scandalous folly of the God who chooses the cross. If we leave the cross plain, as is more in our tradition, then we focus on the ascension, resurrection even, sorry, resurrection, and are reminded of the healing power of the God who dies, like the seed that was planted that gives new life. And so there are many ways we can imagine the cross enter this mystery as a sign and seal of a covenant, as a life-giving sacrifice, drawing all things to Christ's embrace, as the beginning of the end. Here is a profound mystery, which, as Basil Hume said, may be entered into, explored, even inhabited, but can never be exhausted or fathomed. As we travel onwards in the footsteps of Jesus, may this mystery draw us ever closer to the heart of God. And so we're going to sing a hymn that sounds, the first words, like probably one that you do know, but actually I don't think we do know it. It's a new one. Lift high the cross, the sign of God's commitment.
we continue our pattern of different styles of prayer and this is the Sunday of the month in which we encourage the use of silence. So in a few moments I will invite us to pray. If you find it helpful to your thoughts to come and take one of the crosses to hold or to look at, absolutely fine. If you prefer to sit in the stillness, that is fine too. And perhaps we can do something really unbaptist. Perhaps we can emulate our Roman Catholic and Orthodox brothers and sisters and begin our prayers by signing ourselves with the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, be in our minds and in our thinking, in our mouths and in our speaking, in our hearts and in our living. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
loving and mysterious God who draws all things to yourself and from whom all goodness has its source. Accept our gifts and help us use them wisely to share that good news with people we meet and people we will never meet. Amen. It felt to me you couldn't really finish a series on the cross without a bit of Wesley and a good old sing. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me?
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us, those we love, and all people and all things everywhere, now and always. Oh.